the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dakota or Utah. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. This morning, as I awakened, my heart was so filled with the love of Jesus that all I could do is shout his praise and worship him. His love is so absolutely astonishing. Things have happened in the recent past that has caused my heart to be very vulnerable. And it's with great joy that I turn to Jesus for healing, for restoration. It's to Jesus I look. He is a friend. He is a savior who will never turn aside he will never leave us or forsake us. Let me read a passage of scripture as we open today and then we'll go to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Romans, the fifth chapter. I'm reading from the Lavender translation of the New Testament. It's a very accurate translation of literal nature. This is Romans 5. I'll begin reading in verse 8. But God confirms his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By much more than having now been made righteous by means of his blood, we shall be saved through him from the wrath of God. While I was yet walking in darkness, Jesus loved me. And he loves you. Jesus loves you. I went this morning to Panera's, which I often do for tea and a sandwich. I went up to the manager who is a wonderful brother in Christ. Joseph is his name. And I began singing to him, and I can't sing, but I began singing to him, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. His face lit up. It was exactly what he needed to hear this morning. We are loved with such compassion, such tenderness by Jesus. He loves us. And when we were utterly unlovable, filled with darkness, filled with sin, filled with shame, filled with uncleanness, he loved us. And he died for us. Oh, that's such a wonderful truth. I want you to let that settle into your spirit. This is not an intellectual statement, although it has intellectual content. I want you to just let it settle into your heart. You are loved. You are loved with such compassion, such tenderness. You are not alone. You have not been cast off. 
You are loved. You are cherished. So much so that Jesus died for you. He knew you before you were born. He planned for your life. Now the devil came in and he's done all kinds of things to twist and contort and hurt and injure and damage your heart. But healing is found in the love of Jesus. I want you to really hear that today. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. What a gospel song. Jesus begins this redemptive work that he has planned in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Old Covenant, he came down on Mount Sinai with fire and thunder and lightning and wind, and he spoke the law. Now he comes and sits with the people humbly, and he speaks to them the truth of the new covenant. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, blessed blessed are those men and women who feeling the grinding poverty of their spirit because of sin, because of the wickedness in the world, because of the painful agony that they have suffered at the hands of other men and women. They're broken. And when we come to Jesus, the first thing he does is help us look at our brokenness. Sometimes in revivals it's called conviction of sin. You can call it whatever you want, but it's an honest confession of my true inner being before a holy and righteous God. And when I deal with that, I begin to weep, I mourn. For I see how I have offended my God. I see how I have broken my own life. A man yesterday was complaining to me that he'd not had the proper chance in life because of his dad. He'd not had the proper opportunities presented to him, and he was angry. He just had his 40th birthday. I said to him, Abraham Lincoln said that when a man is 40, he's responsible for his own face. When are you going to take responsibility for your life? And after some conversation, he was ready to do that. We begin to weep for lost opportunities. We begin to weep for wrong courses of action and wrong direction. When we have done that work, 
we will then take the third step, which is blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, a man who recognizes his true heart condition and he's willing to deal with that, to confess it openly and honestly before a holy and righteous God. After he has wept over that and he has been comforted by the Holy Spirit, there's no longer any room for pride in his heart. And then the next beatitude, blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now here's the great danger, and I only lift it up as a warning, red flag, watch this. The greatest danger that I have faced in my own personal life and that I have faced in the lives of those I have pastored is that a finished work of dealing with the grinding poverty of our spirit has not been done. And so when it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, yes, there's a hunger and a thirst for justice and righteousness. And there is sometimes what looks like mercy. But underneath that, is a knife that cuts, that justifies, that judges. That's a sure sign that a person did not do a finished work of dealing with the grinding poverty of their heart. I'm warning you now, do a finished work before trying to move on into righteousness. or you will be a Pharisee. You will claim one thing, but you will do another. You will be self-centered. You will be very proud of how merciful you are until suddenly you dis- you're displeased and then the knife comes out. Then the judgments come then the bitterness emerges. This is a sign that there was not sufficient understanding of the grinding spirit of poverty, the wickedness of your heart. And you've got to go back, and that work has to be finished. You will be blocked in the kingdom of God, in righteousness. You will be blocked. You will be unable to make progress if you have not been willing to go and deal with all of the darkness of your heart. Oh, you have that favorite television program. You're not going to let go of that. You have your favorite activities. You're not going to let go of those. You have your favorite people. You're going to be in close relationship and cut others off. The grinding poverty has not sufficiently been dealt with in your heart. This is a great red flag for me that I have to lift up and say, please, please, please. The sure sign that you have adequately dealt to the bottom of the grinding poverty is when you deal with your pride. 
Now, I know men who are very pious, and yet they're filled with pride. There's nothing uglier than a man seeking after righteousness who's proud because as he gains correct outward behavior or even correct inward behavior, pride will be the downfall. It will hurt him. It will hurt his family. It will hurt his friends. This is a grave warning I'm giving to you today. Deal to the bottom of that grinding poverty. Deal to the bottom of that sin which has separated you from God. Let the Holy Spirit search out in your heart because there must be a weeping over your wickedness and that weeping over your wickedness will humble your heart. When I meet a man or woman who is filled with pride and it stinks The stench of pride is an ugly thing. They can be seeking for all kinds of righteousness and justice. They can hunger for it. They can talk about it. But they're not humble about it. Which I know means they did not deal to the bottom of their sin. And they're going to have to go back and deal with it. That work has to be finished in the Spirit. Now, when we begin honestly, humbly, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it says, for they will be satisfied. I want to show you how I know they will be satisfied. I want to take you to the book of Romans, which is the classic statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in theology. There is that stunning portrayal in Romans, the third chapter, of the human condition that there is not anything good in man. There's not a righteous man, not even one. There's no one understanding, there's no one seeking God for every conceivable man turned away. Together they became morally depraved. Yes, morally depraved. But by the work of the Holy Spirit working in a man's heart, we're called, we're called and loved out of the darkness and into the light. Now, we'll begin reading in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to the ones in the sphere of the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become under judgment by God because no flesh will be made righteous before him by means of works of the law for by law is the full knowledge of sin. This is why, this is how the grinding poverty of our spirit is exposed as we look at the law, as we look at Jesus, 
we see how far we've fallen short. And it causes us to weep. Because we know we have offended the majesty of heaven. We have offended the one, the only one who has ever truly loved us. Yes, he puts his love in the hearts of others toward us. But it's not complete love like Jesus' love is complete. Now, at the present time, verse 21, this is Romans 3, verse 21. Now, at the present time, apart from the law, righteousness out from God has been made known, being confirmed by the law and the prophets. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back to Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter. For I am not ashamed, this is verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel from Christ because it is power, it is dunamis, it is dynamite from God for salvation to all believing ones, both to Jew first and to the Gentile. Indeed, righteousness from God is revealed in it by means of faith unto faith as it stands written, now the righteous will live by faith. There is a a righteousness that comes from another source, not law-keeping. There is another source of that that righteousness, and it it is in Jesus Christ. Now, follow with me as we read this. Verse 22, this is Romans 3, verse 22. Indeed, righteousness is out from God. In other words, righteousness is coming out of God himself, not the law. Through faith, by means of Jesus Christ. So the righteousness of God is flowing through Jesus Christ and is now available to us, to you. Full righteousness. Now, please, I need to just clarify for some of you. This has nothing to do with being declared righteous. This has everything to do with being made righteous in reality. Regenerated. Totally changed. Metamorphosed. These are the words that are used in Scripture. Verse 22, indeed, righteousness is out from God through faith by means of Jesus Christ to all and upon all the ones believing. For there's no distinction. For all conceivable men sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being made righteous freely by his grace by means of the redemption in Christ Jesus whom God and no other set forth an atonement by means of his blood through faith to declare his righteousness because of passing over of the sins having already previously occurred. Now, what's he saying? 
there is a, a righteousness, and the word is dikasune in the Greek. It means it means innocence. Innocence. So I come before God with a grinding spirit of poverty. As I confess that, I confess what I have done, what I have felt, what's in my heart. I mourn over that condition, but as I'm mourning over that condition, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to comfort my heart. And now I'm in utter humility before Almighty God. And now he begins to rebuild me. He begins to flow into my heart. He begins to flow into my life. Righteousness. Innocence. He removes the dirty old clothing of wickedness. Alcoholism. It's gone. Homosexuality. It's gone. Lying, it's gone. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ, as I believe what he has told me, and I begin to walk thinking of myself as innocent before God and totally casting off those works of darkness, I no longer want them. I no longer need them. They're no longer a part of me. I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is the, lo- the lover of my soul. But let's go further. Let's go further. In Romans... Let's read verse 27. Indeed, righteousness is out from God. Indeed, innocence is out from God through faith by means of Jesus Christ to all and upon all the ones believing. Now, Verse 28, logically, a man is made righteous by means of faith, apart from works of the law. In other words, this righteousness does not come by white-knuckling it. It comes by putting my confidence in the faith of Jesus Christ and in the word that he will change, transform, and fill my heart with his love. I like what John Wesley had to say about this. He said, perfection is being filled with the love of God. Now, in our culture, we think of perfection as keeping all the rules. That's not how God looks at it. God looks at perfection as 
being brought into a state of absolute love in relationship to him and to others. That love fills our heart. It's not love that flows from keeping the law. It's love that flows from knowing and trusting in the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go to another passage. I'm going to come back to this one in just a moment. I want to go to the book of Galatians. Galatians, the second chapter, I'll begin reading at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not made righteous, knowing that a man is not justified, The word justified I've shared before, (coughs) pardon me, the word justified that I've shared before is an old English word, and it comes literally meaning to be made righteous, to be made righteous, or to be made innocent, not to be declared Please understand, to declare declare righteousness is something that happened in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, a man was declared righteous. He could not be made righteous. Um, See if I could find it quickly. Here it is. Hebrews 10. Let me read verse 4 for you. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. Verse 9. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, by which we have been made holy by means of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now every priest has stood day by day ministering and offering the same sacrifices often that can never take away sins. But he himself, after having offered one sacrifice in behalf of sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, finally waiting until his enemies may be a footstool under his feet. For by one offering he has perfected forever the ones being made holy. Now, I want you to hear that. In the Old Covenant, they sacrificed animals. In the Old Covenant, they were declared righteous, but not made righteous. In the Old Covenant, Their sins were not removed. They were covered. 
But when Jesus died on Calvary, their sins were all removed by the blood. Now, today, again, our sins are removed by the blood of Jesus, and we are made innocent. The man who was fornicating no longer fornicates. The woman who was a prostitute is no longer a prostitute. She turns aside. The man who was an alcoholic is no longer an alcoholic. If he will come before Jesus and he will look at that grinding poverty of his spirit and repent and mourn over his sin, he will be comforted. And then he will seek righteousness. And that righteousness does not keep out of a list of rules. Righteousness does not flow from the law. Only condemnation flows from the law. Righteousness flows out of the very heart of God. So in Romans, we come back to it. God confirms his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By much more than having now been made righteous by means of his blood, we shall be saved through him from the wrath of God. Now, I want to read one more passage. What shall we say then? Continue in sin so that grace may become more and more? Certainly not. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it? We don't live in sin anymore. The law is now established in our hearts not by means of the law, but by means of the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope you hear today. This is real. This is not pretend. This is what God has done for us. This is what his heart is for us. We were kept under the law until Jesus came. We were condemned. We were judged. But righteousness came through the faith of Jesus. I put my trust in the faith of Jesus and what he has said he will do for me. The radical transformation that he will do for me. Now, how does that happen? 
Listen. Are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in the newness of life. Romans, the sixth chapter. I want to take you back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are ground down by their sin and their wickedness. For theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. If you will admit your true condition before God, Paul calls it being crucified with Christ. If you will admit your true condition, that is where the crucifixion with Jesus begins. The old man of pride has to be put on that cross with Jesus Christ. You read that over here in Galatians. The Apostle Paul. He says, For because of law, I died to law in order that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and still am. On the other hand, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one having loved me and having handed himself over in my behalf. Now, how is a man crucified? Jesus outlines that for us in the Beatitudes. Confession. This is what I've done. This is who I am. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are willing to get honest with God and with themselves and with other people and are willing to uncover it all. And then mourn over the ugliness of what they have said and done. And then in the humility of knowing the fullness of my own deprivation and the fullness of knowing the ugly truth about myself so that I can no longer be deceived about who I am and what I am. He says, these are the people who will inherit the earth. This is another descriptor of crucifixion with Christ. Now, blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for innocence, not knowledge. It doesn't say, blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for knowledge, for wisdom. That only leads to pride. 
and arrogance and hardness of heart. It only leads to using my knowledge and my wisdom to protect myself, to defend myself from others, to attack, to be judgmental, to be accusatory. This is the process and the only gateway into the kingdom of God. Remember, he said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And where was he going? To deal with your sin and mine on Golgotha. I enter into the crucifixion of Jesus by dealing honestly with the true condition of my soul before a holy and righteous God. And if you are unable to do that, then I urge you to begin to cry out and ask Jesus if he would show you the depth of wickedness in your heart. You may feel as I did many years ago when I began this journey I said, Lord, I don't know what to even begin to repent of. I don't know what I've done that's wicked. I am clean before you. Oh, did he unveil the fullness of my wickedness. And no one ever taught me what I'm sharing with you today. No one ever... Oh, they talked about the wonderful Beatitudes, but they never talked about the reality that it's crucifixion. that it's the entryway into heaven, into the heart of Jesus. It's blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for innocence who are willing to do whatever they have to do before Almighty God to be innocent of all sin. See, some of you, you're still full of the world's entertainment. You're still full of the world, the flesh, the devil. Your heart is not hungering after innocence yet because you have refused to look at the fullness of your own wickedness. I urge you to cry out to God and say, Oh God, show me. Show me my true condition before you and I'll tell you the same thing will happen to you that's happened to me where I've recognized I have nothing to be proud of. I have nothing to be bragging about. I have nothing to set myself up as better than another person. I have nothing in me to set myself up to judge. I can't judge. It's not for me to judge a brother or a sister. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for innocence. Oh, my brother, my sister. My heart, even yet today, hungers and thirsts before Almighty God to grow into the fullness of Jesus in innocence, in humility, 
to grow into the love of Jesus. To love with the heart of Jesus. Not to bite, not to have a wolf nature. Some of you, you're still full of the wolf nature. You growl and bite each other. You judge. You cut off. You run. But you have the wolf nature all covered up in Christianese. Oh, you're a Christian. Are you kidding me? It's time to deal with the reality that I have to be crucified with Christ. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and still am. In other words, I'm going to always be crucified with Christ. My pride is never going to rise its head up in my life again because I have looked in the mirror of the law. I have seen the fullness of my ungodliness. I've seen the wickedness of my heart. And now I have utterly renounced it and stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am healed. I am restored. What do we do with the dead body? We hold a funeral. And we bury it. And it's gone. We must do the same thing with the old man. With the carnal nature. It must forever be put away from us. It must be buried. It must be in the cemetery. It must be in the cemetery. It's gone. Some of you have been dragging that dead body around for years, and the stench of it is awful. You call yourself a Christian, but you're dragging a dead body around with you. Bury it by the blood of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I bury this old sinful nature. I no longer will participate in it. I cut it off in the name of Jesus. It is gone. By the mighty blood of Jesus, I am set free, and I will walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. Christ lives in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one having loved me and having handed himself over in my behalf. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness is by the law, then Christ died in vain. Are you going to be under Jesus Christ? Are you going to be in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to be under the law and in the law and have the judgment of God against your life? There is nothing uglier than a half-converted Christian who claims that they're saved 
And I want to say, what have you been saved from? Because you're still walking in wickedness and judgment and bitterness and anger. What have you been saved from? You still walk in the old man. He's alive in you. That's why we have to deal with the bottom of this grinding, wicked poverty of our hearts. And that's done by the power of the blood of Jesus as the Holy Spirit comes and exposes the trueness of our own heart condition. And when we see it, we'll weep over it. If you've never wept over your wicked heart, you're still not a Christian. God doesn't have grandkids. This is a work you have to do. Because until you do that work, you will never be a humble person. You can put on humble airs. But quickly that will change when someone crosses you. When someone says something you don't like. You'll get mad and you'll cut them off. I can't think of any more cruelty than that. Blessed are the humble. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness. For innocence, for they will be satisfied. We're out of time for today's broadcast. I hope this has been helpful to you. If it has, would you subscribe to our channel? And would you send me a note? I've received some wonderful letters this week. I'm so grateful for each one of you. Uh, Peter, Mark and Wendy, the Jacobs, Alice, I smiled when I received your letter. Thank you. And others of you have gone online and given. Thank you. I'm humbled by your love for Jesus and you're helping this gospel message go out over this nation and over this city. Thank you. Now, I'd like to hear from you. You can go online, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I check there every day to see who has given. I know this radio broadcast is here only by faith in Jesus as he moves in your hearts. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's post office box 2346, 
Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I haven't heard from some of you for a long time. I'm wondering what's happening. Where are you with Jesus? I'd love to hear from you. We're in, Wood, we're in Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to come and worship with us on Sunday morning. We start at 10 a.m. If you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, you'll get the directions for how to come. Or you can call for directions, 703-489-1785. That's my personal cell phone. Please, no, uh, no argumentative messages. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here simply to share with you the gospel of Jesus as he's revealed it to my heart. If you'd like to come and worship, you're welcome. And my brother and sister, let me pray. Lord, I lift up each person who has been listening today. I ask that you move in the heart of each person with healing and restoration. Lord, there are some listening today who desperately need your love. They are burdened down. They are discouraged. They are filled with fear and remorse. Lord, would you finish this work in them and cause faith to rise up, your faith to rise up in their heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. The National Day of Prayer.